Is there a desire in you to not just attend revival, but live in revival? Welcome to the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Saldivar. I've been in revival for the last 10 years, as well as traveling and being a part of many revivals throughout the United States. I'm going to be sharing with you how to live a radical lifestyle of revival on a daily basis. But here we go. This is episode one, I guess, or I don't know, of 25 questions with Isaiah Saldivar. And the first question is, what do I do when I pray for the sick and the person is not healed? I got this question a lot of times. I know this is a struggle for many people as they're getting into praying for the sick, casting out demons. We've all come to the place where you pray for someone that's sick in body and the person doesn't get healed. But what we don't want to do is we don't want to build a case against God. We don't want to say, well, I've prayed for so many sick people and no one's gotten healed. Well, I've tried so many times and nobody's gotten healed. People come to me all the time and say, I want you to pray for me. I'm sick in body, but I've already gotten prayer so many times and nothing's happened. And I stop them right there and I say, let's pray as if it's the first time we've asked God for healing. Because the Bible says if you're double-minded and you pray not really believing, you could expect to receive nothing from God. So we don't want to start the prayer by starting off by saying, oh, well, God hasn't healed. God hasn't delivered. I've never seen this or I've tried praying for this a thousand times. We're going to go in fresh and say, God, I know you want to heal me. Your word shows that you want to heal me. John 14, 12 says, whoever believes in me will do the same works I've done and even greater because I'm going to the Father. God, I know you want to heal me. I know I've been given the power to heal the sick. And so, Lord, I believe that this person is going to be healed. And we're not begging for healing. So if someone doesn't get healed, how do you feel? Oh, I still feel pain. Okay, let's pray again. Let's pray a second time. We know Jesus prayed for a blind man twice. First time the man said, I see trees or people but they look like trees and then jesus prayed a second time so there's nothing wrong with praying a second time if i'm doing a conference i'll say hey are you going to be here again later are you going to be here for the next session let's pray again if nothing's changed let's pray again because sometimes it's not instant it's uh sometimes it's not instant it's progressive so don't be discouraged don't build a case against god don't say well i've tried a bunch of times and nothing's happened pray and believe that god wants to heal you remember when jesus prayed for the 10 lepers The Bible says they were healed as they went. So sometimes when you pray, it's not instant or immediate, but people get healed as they go. This sometimes is a progressive work. So you don't want to be discouraged and say, well, I'm not going to pray for the sick anymore because nothing ever happens when I pray. Something does happen when you pray. Every time we pray, something is happening. So we want to believe. If you look at James 5.14, it says, Anyone sick among you, call the elders of the church to pray, anoint them with oil. And then it says the prayer offered in faith will make a sick person well. So what is the prayer we offer? We offer it in faith. We believe God, by his stripes we were healed. And so we wanna make sure, hey, we're gonna pray again. If you don't feel anything, if nothing's happened, changed, maybe give it a day, maybe give it a week, and I'm willing to pray you through. I'm willing to come in agreement again with you. Keep believing for your healing. Don't be discouraged. Don't be weary. We know God wants to heal. I don't know all the reasons why people don't get healed every time. I don't know if it's this or that. There's a bunch of things it could be but I'm going to believe by faith. Now, if I'm praying for the sick and I pray for a hundred people and I never see anyone get made well, then I'm probably going to look at myself and say, am I praying and fasting? Am I believing? Because maybe they're not being healed, not because of their faith, but because of my faith. Remember, Jesus said these things only come by prayer and fasting. So sometimes I have to look at my own faith and say, if I'm not praying, studying, fasting, living holy, and making myself a willing vessel for God to move, then it could be that I'm the problem. So I don't want to write that off and say, it's just their faith. It could actually be my faith because I know Jesus wants them healed. 
I know in Matthew 14, 14, it says Jesus was moved with compassion and he healed the sick. So I want to be moved with compassion. I want not just to try to get a quick video or a quick clip, but I want to pray again, believe with them, fight through with them, and then don't be discouraged, okay? We'll pray again if you didn't get healed. We'll keep believing. I'm going to put you on my prayer list. I have a running prayer list, a long list in my notes. Hey, I'm going to put you on my prayer list. I'm going to keep praying for you. Don't put them in your prayer list if you're not actually going to pray for them, okay? Number two is how can I come out of lukewarmness? This is a major issue a lot of people have. This is something that I even battle. I'm like, Lord, I don't want to be lukewarm. I don't want to be half in, half out. You know, the, if you look at the lukewarm church in Revelation chapter 3, the Bible says they weren't hot and they weren't cold. They were lukewarm. And God says, I'd rather you just be one. See, some of you don't realize God would rather you be either all the way out or all the way in. He doesn't want you in the middle ground of lukewarmness. And so if you're lukewarm, I'm just going to be straight for the person that asked this question. It's going to cost you everything. It's going to cost you something. The people said in the lukewarm church in Revelation 3, we're rich and in need of nothing. But God said, you're miserable, poor, blind, naked. So their perspective was they had it all together. They didn't need more of God. And this is really what it means to be lukewarm, okay? We say we need more money. All of us do, including me. Everyone says we need more money. No one here says I don't need more money. We all say we need more money. We need more success. We need more followers. We need more of everything the world offers. But then when it comes to God, we're like, oh, we don't really need any more. So he said, you say you're in need of nothing. You don't need me. You, you have all the world opulence and power and money, but you don't need more of God. There's no longer a, a drive in you to say, God, I want more of you. I want more of your spirit. I want more of your power. I want more intimacy. I want more of your anointing. He said, you say you're in need of nothing, but I say you're miserable, wretched, poor, blind, and naked. So some of us, our perspective is out of sync. We think we're radical. We think we're passionate. We think we're this mighty man or woman of God. But from heaven's perspective, he says, no, you're miserable. You're poor. You're blind. You're naked. You have all this money in the natural, but spiritually you're bankrupt. So that's the, the issue of lukewarmness. And, and most of the time you don't even know you're lukewarm. He says, you don't even see your nakedness. You think you have it all together, but you're lukewarm. You're poor, miserable, blind, and naked. There's no such thing. Get this, as a lukewarm Christian, if you are lukewarm, you're not a Christian and God says, I will vomit you out of my mouth. You're bankrupt. You're miserable. That's not the description of a Christian. The description of a Christian is not someone that's miserable, poor, blind, and naked. So what's the antidote? Because the question was, how do I overcome lukewarmness? Okay, all that to say, this is what the Bible says. He says, I counsel you, buy from me gold refined in fire. This is something, God says, this is something only I can give you. You cannot get this from just listening to another podcast, another broadcast, or another video. You need to go to God, and you need to get gold refined by fire. This is going to cost you something. This is a, a price. It's going to cost you your energy, your time, your effort. It might ruin ungodly relationships. It might ruin soul ties. It might challenge you every single day to live for God. You might have to be uncomfortable. There's a price. Are you willing to pay the price? Because like people want to be on fire for God, but they don't want to spend time in prayer. They don't want to fast. They don't want to read. They don't want to seek the Lord. And like, I want to be on fire for God, but I want to still live eight hours a day on TikTok. You can't. Friend, this is going to cost Jesus. And if anyone's to follow me, he has to lay his life down. He has to give up everything and be my disciple. 
So you have to buy the gold refined by fire. It's going to cost you. Put a sacrifice down. Say, God, I'm going to sacrifice my energy. Come on, chat. Where are you? Share this broadcast. I'm going to sacrifice my energy and my time and my effort. I'm going to step out and I'm going to walk according to your commandments. It's going to cost you. How do I overcome lukewarmness? I put a fresh sacrifice down. God, I want a fresh fire. And God says, Isaiah, you know what it's going to cost you. Are you willing to pay the price? Something has to give. You need to pay the price in the secret place. You need to seek me. So don't be confused if you're lukewarm, if you're not doing anything with seeking God, with prayer, with fasting. You just aren't that desperate. I want to tell someone in the chat that's lukewarm. You are just not that desperate. When you cry out in desperation, God will say, I want you to buy this gold from me and it's going to cost you something. That's the point. What's the gold? Why is it refined by fire? That doesn't matter. The point is it's expensive like gold. Okay, number three. How do I remember we have 25 questions to get through? We're going to try to do them in an hour, but who knows? Because we're nine minutes in on question three. How do I respond to someone who says that God agrees with abortion because of the plague of the firstborn? Okay, good question. Let me explain to you the plague of the firstborn. This is Exodus chapter 11, verse four. So Moses said, this is what the Lord says. And he's telling Pharaoh this. About midnight, I will go through Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die. From the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the female slave who's at her handmill, all the firstborn cattle as well. There will be a loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there's ever been or will ever be again. But among the Israelites, look at this, not a dog will bark at any person or animal. Then you'll know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All those official v- officials of yours will come to me, bowing down and saying, go all of your people who follow you after I leave. Then Moses, hot, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. Okay, this is not about God killing babies. This is a plague. This was the last plague. I believe there was 10 of God breaking the stubbornness of Egypt to let his people go. Now, let me make something clear. A lot of you read the Old Testament and say, why is God so mean in the Old Testament and so nice in the New Testament? Let me make this clear. God is the same. There is not a God of the Old Testament and a God of the New Testament. One of the distinct differences is the wrath of God that judges sin was poured out on Jesus. The Bible says God's wrath was poured out on his own son and it pleased God to crush his son. So he's not different. He's the same. When you read the Old Testament and God says, go kill all these people, it's not like God's different now, like God was different then. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now we have the blood of Jesus. There's been mercy that's been atoned for. Blood has been shed. But also, okay, let me, now I gave you that. Let me give you the flip side. Go read the book of Revelation and tell me God doesn't judge anymore. God is going to destroy the world by fire. Billions of people God will kill in the tribulation. God will allow the Antichrist and the devil to kill billions of people. And God will kill billions of people with his plagues, judging humanity for their sin. So I want to make sure that we don't have this mindset that God is no longer a God of wrath, that God is no longer a God of justice or judgment. We need the fear of the Lord back, friends. America and the earth does not fear God, but God is not playing games. Let me show you this in the New Testament. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. The wrath of God, this is current, is revealed from heaven against the ungodliness and the unrighteous of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So right now as we speak, I'm going to throw this out there. I'm not going to be too specific because I don't want to go in deep to this. There are plagues. There are diseases. There are things happening right now in the world that are the, that is the wrath of God on humanity. There are, let me just say this, okay? 
and I'm gonna be very careful with my words here because I'm not trying to martyr myself and get banned for no reason. There are, and I hope you can read between the lines, there are diseases right now in certain communities, are you tracking, that are absolutely the wrath of God. Now you're like, well, how is God's wrath? In those diseases, in those sicknesses, in those plagues. There are modern day plagues right now, okay? Our wicked, ungodly president is the wrath of God, is judgment of God, because the Bible says God appoints and God allows all authorities. So if we have these wicked, ungodly authorities, that is part of the judgment of God. Friend, America is under the judgment of God right now, if you don't know that. Romans 1.18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against the ungodly and the unrighteousness of men. So there are some diseases, some things happening in certain communities where it's like, why is that happening? Why are these diseases running rampant? It's the wrath of God towards the ungodly. And in Romans 1 goes on to, they've turned over, men are now with men, women are with women, their lust has burned in them and all of that stuff. But yes, God's wrath is still there. Abortion is the taking of innocent life and sacrificing to Moloch. Trust me, if you don't know about the abortion industry, it's 100% fueled by the God of Moloch, the demon God Moloch, and these sacrifices are, when they kill babies in the mother's womb, and it's horrific, these are sacrifices to ancient pagan gods. Abortion is a ritual, friend, trust me. You can go do the research. Abortion is a demonic pagan sacrifice ritual that is legal in our country. Believe me, the wrath of God is coming for this country. You think we're gonna kill 70 million babies? You think we're gonna kill 70 million babies since 1973 and get away with it? No, God is storing up that wrath. God hears the cry of 70 million. In Genesis, it says one innocent blood shed, the blood cries out from the ground. Beloved, what is the cry of 70 million babies? Go read the book of Revelation. You're like, how could God kill billions of people? Um, How could we kill millions of our own? How is it possible? And I know now I'm gonna get flagged. This video is probably gonna get restricted and not put out, whatever. How is it possible that the gas chambers in America are women's wombs? We look at the Holocaust, how horrific it was. Yet there's a Holocaust that's 10 times worse. And the woman's womb is the gas chamber. And it's just completely fine. Everybody doesn't bat an eye. Everyone's pro-choice. Oh, you cannot be pro-choice in a Christian. I'm telling you right now, if you are pro-choice, you're not a Christian. You're not a Christian. So we can't, we can't project Exodus 11 of the God, of God allowing all the firstborn of Egypt to die because God's judging them because they're holding the people of God and literally torturing the people of God and then try to say God's okay with abortion. It's a massive difference. God detests abortion. The blood of 70 million is crying out. And it's over a billion since 1922. But since 1973, over a billion worldwide, but over 70 million in America since 1973. And trust me, the wrath of God, do not be shocked when God pours out his wrath. Like, we don't know why there's all this sickness, all this disease, and why God's allowing all these earthquakes, hurricanes. What are you talking about? Of course, God's allowing it. God judges. God judges righteously and America will be judged. And it's going to be a very, very dark day, a terrifying day. Excuse me when God judges. Okay. Number four. I know that was a heavy question. Number four, we're, we got to move along here. This might be a three hour stream. I don't know. Number four says, my boyfriend argues that tongues is not a real thing, but an actual language. What are your thoughts? Okay. So her boyfriend says tongues, and I'm sure he's watching right now because they sent him this question. Tongues is not real. It's just a known language. And that's, that can't be anything farther from the truth. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10 says there's given different kinds of tongues. 
So the base line you need to get is when it comes to speaking in tongues, the actual gift is called different kinds of tongues. So if there's a tongue with an interpretation, there's a tongue with a foreign language, there's a prayer tongue, there's a tongue of angels. There's not just one type of tongues. So 1 Corinthians 12, there's an interpreted tongue where you can interpret it. 1 Corinthians 14, this is what Paul says, he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. Okay, look at this. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. So that's showing us this type of tongue is only to God. It's not a known language like your boyfriend might say. I'm not trying to be rude to your boyfriend, but he's wrong. It's not a known language. It's a heavenly tongue that is you speaking to God. So there's an interpretation tongue where you speak and then you could pray for an interpretation. Paul says that. Then there's a tongue where you speak to God, not to men. So one tongue is to build up the church. Another tongue is to build up yourself. It's a private tongue. You don't speak to men, but to God. It's for your own spirit. Look at what Romans 8.26 says. In the same way, the spirit helps in our weakness. When we don't know what to pray for, look at this. This is Romans 8.26. The spirit himself intercedes, intercedes for us through wordless, wordless groans. So that is not a language. That's not understood by man. That is wordless groans as the Spirit prays out of us. Jude chapter 1 verse 20. But you friends, build yourselves up in your holy faith by praying in the Holy Spirit. So praying in tongues is like bench pressing for your spirit man. 1 Corinthians 13 1. If I speak with the tongues of men and a tongue of angels, but I don't have love, I'm a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. So there we have four or five verses. There is a tongue of interpretation there's a foreign tongue where you go to another country and you speak a language you don't even know you preach the gospel and they say how do you know our language and then there's a tongue of angels a tongue of building up a tongue of intercession there's different kinds of tongues so respectfully paul says do not forbid speaking in tongues do not forbid and paul said i speak in tongues more than all of you but we know paul was not speaking in tongues publicly so where was he speaking in tongues ding 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 he was speaking in tongues in private all right, question number five. Do you have a church? And if so, where is it located? Yes, I go to church. I'm a part of a local church. The church is called Life Song. It's in Stockton, California. I'll be preaching there very soon. I'll announce it soon. I preach there occasionally. I go there whenever I'm not traveling, whenever I'm home. My kids go there, my family goes there. I'm submitted under Pastor James Bird and the other leaders there, and they speak into my life, and they, they're, they're my pastors. So if you don't know, I co-pastored with my uncle, for 10 years, a local church. I was, I was a senior pastor for 10 years. And then when God told me to go online in 2019, I pivoted out of being a, a senior pastor. And now I'm basically traveling. I'm doing content every single day. I'm uploading, I'm doing live streaming. I'm traveling and preaching and I'm preaching at my local church. But yes, I'm a part of a local church and you should be too. Well, where's that in the Bible? Hebrews 10, 25. Do not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. So we should be a part of a church. If there's a church in your area, you should go to it. You should find a good church, be a part. We can do more together than we can alone. Okay, the, the church is a place of strengthening your faith. It's a great place of fellowship. It's a great place of community. It's a great place to exercise your spiritual gifts. It's a great place just to have that brother that can hold you up, fight your back. It's one person versus uh, an army is going to be disadvantageous over 
a thousand people versus an army. We are fighting the kingdom of darkness and you, you don't want to fight alone. You can fight alone, but you're better together. So you should be a part of church. Jesus built a church all through the book of Acts. They meet together. It's biblical. So yes, my church is in Stockton, California, Lifesong. Uh, we meet Sundays, four services, 8, 15, 9, 30, 11, and 12, 30. And every week you can get prayed for the sick. If you're sick in body, you can get deliverance, uh, whatever you need. Every single week we're doing that. And so we baptize every service. So if you want to get baptized, hey, I want to get baptized. We'll baptize you right there in the middle of worship. And uh, it's amazing. God moves. The, the pastor's just awesome. Okay. Number six is the advancement of artificial intelligence a sign of the end times? 100% absolutely. Yes. We know, and let me find the verse here. Uh, Daniel 12, chapter 12, verse 4 says, But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. So we know until the time of the end, as we approach the end time, one of the signs of getting closer to the coming of the Lord and the tribulation time, which if you don't know, I believe we will go through the tribulation because I'm post-trib, so I believe that we're going through the tribulation, is advancement of, advancement of technology, artificial intelligence, is part of speeding up the process. Now, where might AI play into tribulation the end time events. Well, right now there's already a church in Germany that did their first AI only church service. So they are hosting church services where it's only AI. There's no one leading. It's just basically a robot coming up with a sermon and it's completely weird. The pastor there who calls himself a theologian, which I'm like, what are you like a Skittles Sour Patch Kid theologian? Like, what are you talking about? He says that, yeah, he's hoping one day there'll be no human interaction. It'll just be AI leading church services. It's getting weird out here. No. That is not what Jesus intended. God did not want a church where it's AI leading the church services. Now, can AI come up and, go and look up scriptures? Yes, of course. And come up with a legitimate Bible sermon? Yes, but there will never be a replacement for humans. And if you're a pastor watching and you're getting all your sermons from ChatGPT, you need to go to prayer. You need to seek the Lord. Stop depending on robots. Like, I don't want my pastor to be, hi, Pastor R2D2. Hi, Pastor C3PO. Like, I don't want a robot pastor. It's so cringe. So we're already seeing, look at this, pastors get replaced by AI. We're already seeing, now if you are, let me just take time here because the title of this video is this, okay? If you're a pastor and you're getting your sermons from ChatGPT, which a lot of them are, let's be honest, they're lazy. We all are lazy. You just want to give me a sermon about this and then ChatGPT gives you a sermon. If I go get a sermon for Sunday, from chat GPT and you know, I'm apostle C3PO, then I have now replaced Bible study time, prayer, which should be the backbone of any sermon with AI. So now think about this. AI has replaced prayer for me because I'm no longer praying for a sermon, praying for a message, praying for a word for my congregation. I'm going and AI is going to replace that prayer. I'm no longer studying the word of God. AI is replacing that study time. Do you, are you guys seeing this? So we see AI now replacing spiritual discipline in the church. So it, it is already happening in the body of Christ. We're already seeing, I believe that now I love technology, all that. And I think there's a lot of great places AI could work. I don't think the church is one of them and replacing pastors is one of them. But I do think that AI advancing so quickly is a sign we're racing towards the end times. And a lot of these systems like AI, like, let's just be honest, you know, when we all had to go get the Fauci ouchie and they did all those systems, this is all preparation. It's not the mark of the beast. 
It's not the end times. We're in the last days, but not the end times. These systems are being prepped. We're being conditioned. We're being prepared for when they say everybody needs this mark. You can't buy or sell without the mark. You can't travel without the mark. They're you're going to be locked out of the global system without the mark. So yes, the AI, I could see it being used in the end times. I can see camera systems tracking using AI technology to track who has the mark of the beast and who doesn't have the mark of the beast. If you look at Revelation 13, 16, it says, also it causes all both great and small, rich and poor, free and slave to be marked on the right hand or the forehead. So it's a mark on the outside of the body. Revelation 13, 16 uh, talks about that. So there will be a mark on us and without the mark you will not be able to buy or sell this is not just a mark of the beast a stamp but i want you to think of it also as a mark like it's a, it's an allegiance just like we've been sealed and marked by the holy spirit we pledge our allegiance to god and the holy spirit the mark of the beast as i knock a bunch of stuff off my desk is you pledging allegiance to the beast antichrist system and the greek word literally means a mark or a stamp so i can see ai camera technology tracking who has the mark, who doesn't have the mark. I can see AI being used in databases for the mark of the beast. Um, so we know Revelation 19.20 says the beast was captured and the false prophet who did signs and who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image. Those were thrown, two were thrown alive in the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. It's not an accidental thing. The mark of the beast will be intentional. It'll be not just a mark, but it'll be pledging allegiance to the beast. And yes, AI will be integrated into getting the mark, tracking those that have the mark. It's incredible power that we have right now with AI. It's advancing super quick and there's some weird stuff happening. They're trying to use it to rewrite, re rewrite portions of the Bible. They're using it to replace pastors and church services. It sounds very innocent. It's like, oh, it's not a big deal, Isaiah. It's just a robot preaching. And I get it. I get it. I'm not here to jump, you know, jump out the window, but I'm just saying this is to see how much we'll tolerate, how much will culture tolerate when it comes to AI and at what point do we take on like the system they have in China, the credit system where if you have bad credit, it tracks you. It's like, it's it's just weird. It's weird. There's all these trackings now with AI and the technology is incredibly powerful. It's advancing. And yes, it is a sign of the end times, the advancement of technology, knowledge increases. Um, I think AI will be pivotal in the end times, pivotal in the tribulation. Okay, number seven. What do you think of Christians who disagree on the topic of the Trinity or the, or the doctrine of the Trinity? Now, this is a very, very touchy subject because I believe in the Trinity. I'm a Trinitarian. I believe it's Orthodox. I believe it's right. Obviously, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be Trinitarian, but there's a lot of people that don't believe in the Trinity. The problem with me giving you a blanket statement on what I think about this is there's so much variation. There's some that don't believe in the Trinity, but they still believe Jesus is God. The Holy Spirit is God. And there's God the Father. So they they believe in the Trinity, but in a weird way. There's others that are very popular right now. I won't mention names, okay? I'm like hold my mouth here and just be careful what I say. That deny Jesus is God. They just say Jesus was created. He was an afterthought of God, but he's not God. And I personally, I don't know where exactly I'm at. I don't, I let me just say this. I don't think you can be saved if you don't believe Jesus is God. I just personally, that's where I'm at right now in my life. I just can't imagine. I wouldn't bring on a guest that doesn't believe Jesus is God. Like if you don't believe Jesus is God, when the Bible makes it clear, the word became flesh and man is dwelling among it, who is in the beginning. In the beginning was God and the words with God and the word was God. Like John 1, how do you, how could you miss it? It says it right there. And then there's many other texts where Jesus claimed I am, which is a title only reserved for God. 
very clear Jesus allowed worship and accepted worship, which is only a place for God. If you look at the angels, they said, don't worship us. Even the disciples, people tried to worship the, them in the book of Acts. And they said, don't worship us. So Jesus accepted worship. He called himself God. He used the I am title. I think the Bible makes it explicitly clear. So for me, I personally don't think um, you can say Jesus isn't God and still be still be a Christian. In fact, I would go as far to say is if you start that theology of saying Jesus isn't God, you're, sl you're sliding into Islam. You're slowly on the path of becoming a Muslim. And mark my words, some of these guys that you guys know who they are, I'm not going to call out names and start a war. I don't have time for a war. I got too many kids and too much going on to start a war with people online. But mark my words, some of them will convert to Islam. They will become Muslims because this is the path you take. Jesus was a prophet. He wasn't God. That's literally what Islam teaches, which is completely a false occult, obviously. So I'm just very leery about people that say Jesus isn't God. Again, I don't want to call everyone who doesn't believe in the Trinity a heretic and they're not saved because I don't know. I'm not the judge of salvation. But I would say if you don't think Jesus is God, it's, it's, going, to be, it's going to be a very scary day for you on Judgment Day. And the Bible clearly says Jesus is God, that he was creator God. The Bible goes as far to say he's creator God. Jesus created all things and through him all things were created. How could all things be created through Jesus and Jesus not be God? And I could go on for days on that. I won't. But yeah, that's where I'm at with the, with the Trinity. All right. Number eight. And I'll put all of these questions tomorrow once it processes down below with timestamps and every question. What are your thoughts on aliens? I keep hearing stories of them. Spaceship landings, ETC. Okay. I got this question so many times. Do I believe aliens are real? Capital N, capital O. I do not believe aliens are real. I think if aliens were real, we would know in the Bible and God would have told us about them and we would have discovered them long ago. I have seen zero proof, <clears throat> excuse me, legitimate proof of aliens. And I'm talking about aliens like you see in the movies with a spaceship. I've seen zero proof. I've seen zero proof of spaceships, zero proof of aliens. I think that demons can masquerade as aliens. I think the alien propaganda is part of preparing people for the rapture and the coming of the Lord. Because when the rapture happens and the Lord comes down, they're going to say, oh, this is just an, these are aliens. When the two witnesses are preaching, when the angels, by the way, if you don't know in the tribulation, there's going to be angels flying through the air preaching the gospel the world's gonna say this is just aliens ufo so i think it's conditioning for that also i've heard stories because you say well what about all the stories of alien abductions i'll tell you right now i've listened to stories of alien abductions and they sound identical to people that get attacked by demons at night literally identical i saw a dark figure that was really tall and he did this to me and he put this in my body and that you encountered a demon it's lying deceptions. These are demons um, that have the power to shapeshift, that have the power to manifest in a real natural sense, that have power. The devil has the power to masquerade as an angel of light. We know the devil can come in even human form. The devil came directly to Jesus and spoke to Jesus. So the whole alien thing, I don't, I don't buy it. I don't think aliens are real. I think these are demons that are masquerading as aliens and the world doesn't know what to call them. They're not, the world's not going to say, it's a demon. It's a demon flying through the air or it's a lying sign and a lying wonder or it's you know a, a demon abduction or demon attack these are absolutely uh these are these are demonic spirits and demonic powers that are masquerading as angels of light masquerading as aliens and again there's no proof y'all i know some of you have gone deep down the rabbit hole of youtube uh conspiracy theories there is zero proof we see it all the time in the news more footage more i've watched all the footage 
Come on. We just saw that last guy that released footage of a UFO. I'm like, bro, I literally could light a bottle rocket off on 4th of July, film it, and look better than the video that you produced. Guys, you don't understand with all of the technology of editing now and it's it's so easy to edit things and make them look real half the things you see online that you might think are real a lot of these things are edited a lot of these things are deep faked so you can't believe anything you see online okay you can't believe anything you see online and then also let me make another thing clear and i'm not going to open up a can of worms here and start diving down the deep hole of conspiracy there's a lot of military weapons and military aircrafts that are not have not been released and that are top secret let me just say that okay there's military aircrafts that can fly sideways, backwards, forward, up, down. This has all been proven that have not been released because they don't want other countries to try to innovate because we want to have the strongest army. So there's aircrafts that are military aircrafts that are being tested and they get filmed as aliens and the government's like, they're not aliens. These are just military aircrafts that are incredibly advanced for God forbid that we go to war. All right, so aliens... Oftentimes they're demons. I don't believe in aliens like we see them in the movies and the alien abduction stories. I've listened to a ton of them and they almost all sound like demonic experiences. There's even alien abduction stories where people say, I called on Jesus while the aliens were trying to abduct me and the aliens left. Okay. So either aliens are afraid of Jesus or they weren't aliens. They were demons. And don't get mad at me. Don't say I'm unsubscribing because I believe in aliens. Listen, if you hang out in your backyard with aliens, and have coffee with them in the morning. Don't be mad at me. I'm just telling you, you asked me the question. That's where I'm at. I think if there were aliens, God would reveal him, reveal, reveal them to us. Or in the Bible, we'd know something about him. All right, question nine. Now, don't even get me started on like dinosaurs and new create, uh, um, young earth creation, all that. Number nine, what are your thoughts on ASMR? I want to start a Christian-based ASMR channel. Guys, you're giving me all the hard questions, please. Um, let me give you guys what ASMR is. Some of you are like, what is that? In a nutshell, it's when you crank your gain up on your mic really high and then you talk. I'm not going to do it because it's weird. And you talk really low or loud in the mic and it makes a certain frequency. But this is what it stands for. ASMR stands for Autonomous Sensory Meridian Response. Okay, A term used to describe, look at this, a tingling, static-like, or a goosebump sensation in response to specific triggering audio or visual stimuli. These sensations are to spread across the skull, down the back of the neck, down the spine or limbs. All right, now, ASMR oftentimes, and I am, you know, I'm 32, so I'm not out of touch with what's going on online, is, is uh, sexual in nature often. Not always. There's times where it's relaxation, people go to bed listening to it, but there's a lot of sexual ASMR, let's just be honest. There's a huge trend of sexual ASMR, and in my opinion, now, I know I've, I've heard ASMR before where it wasn't like sexual. It was just like, you know, somebody hitting a thing or rubbing. Listen, I listened to ASMR one time on YouTube. I randomly saw videos like, what the heck is ASMR? And it wasn't sexual at all. And it gave me, like it says in the description, chills down my back and my hair stood up. It was weird. It was weird. I don't want, let me just say it. I don't want another person making some sound to make my body get all stimulated and chills down my back and weird feelings because that could lead into sexual sin let's be honest asmr could lead into sexual sin so if you want to start a christian asmr channel um pray about it use your conviction obviously the bible doesn't talk about asmr but i just think that it leads into could, it could lead into sexual things you're stimulating your body in weird ways you're giving people chills like i don't want to be on my live stream going real close to my mic and giving you guys chills. There's almost 3,000 of you in here right now. That's just weird. 
to give people chills and to stimulate them audio or visual stimulation. And um, I, I don't want to try to do that. I think, I, I just don't see how you can make a, I, I could be wrong. And I feel bad because I know there's Christian ASMR people that follow me and, and message me. So I, I could be wrong. I just think it gets a little dangerous when you're stimulating someone's body. <laughs> I know it sounds weird. It sounds weird. I just think it's weird. Like if someone's reading the Bible, whispering it in your ear, like, please don't whisper John 3:16 in my ear. I'm just saying it feels weird. So that's where I'm at. Okay. Sorry guys. I know some of these questions are controversial, but this is where I stand. I would, I would, I would say pass on the Christian ASMR number 10. And, and guys, I know you guys are going to be in the chat being like, ah, oh, we love ASMR helps me. Okay. Okay, I'm just talking for all of us here. Number 10, and we have 25, so we gotta go. Are all crystals bad, even if you don't believe they have power? And then she says, God created them! Exclamation part. And she went on with the story about how she has a crystal in her home, and all. I won't go and read the whole story. Um, here's the thing. Healing crystals are very popular right now. The argument is, well, God created them. And I would also say God created marijuana, but didn't tell us to smoke it. God created metal but God didn't say turn it into a gun or a knife and kill people with it. So just because God created something doesn't mean we can take it and use it for whatever means we want. I think that crystals are beautiful objects that God made and they're, they're absolutely amazing. Topaz, Sapphire, go read the book of Revelation. They're amazing. The gemstones, literally the new Jerusalem in Revelation 21 will be constructed of gemstones. The problem is, now please hear me when I say this, when you take it and you mix it in with the occult and then you start worshiping objects. This is all throughout the Bible. They worship the creation rather than creator. Go read Romans 1. They worship creation. So when the occults bring it in and start using it um, and start making it into something that it's not supposed to be. And this was happening in the Bible. God told the false prophets of Israel in Ezekiel 13 verse 18, they were wearing amulets. God says, this is what the sovereign Lord says, woe to the woman who sew magic charms on their wrists and make veils of lengths on their head and to, to ensnare people. So they were making magic charms with gemstones and all of that. This is nothing new. I don't think there's anything wrong with crystals in themselves, but when you start using them to heal people, to attract wealth, to love charms and magic charms, and you start using them as amulets and you're wearing them around your neck, you're rubbing them when you have anxiety and you're looking to them for wholeness and healing or hey if you wear this pink crystal it'll attract love and then the next day somebody you know that you've loved before they call you and you're like oh it must have been the crystal and you start attributing the crystal having power you start attributing the the creation and not realizing it's creator that has power not creation then you're in dangerous territory so the lady that asked this, if you have a, a gemstone in your home or you have, I forgot what it was you said, a big thing, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. You bought it at some store, cool. As long as you're not going to a new age store and you're not buying these for new age practices, the devil can't have them. The devil can't have everything. Just like, just like the rainbow. It's like, is the rainbow bad because what it's used for? No, they stole it from us. The Skittle community stole it from us. The alphabet community, they took it from us. The rainbow's not bad just because it's been perverted. Crystals aren't bad just because they've been perverted, but occult crystals, putting them around your neck, rubbing them, using them, praying to them, looking for healing properties, all of that's bad. Crystals are a no if that's how you're using them. We need to trust in creator, not creation. We need to trust in the Lord, not the things that he made. So I would, I would personally stay away from any crystals from occult stores, any crystals on Amazon that could attract certain things, the only crystals, I still wouldn't do it, but I'm just saying that I would say are okay is if you go up to like 
a mining community and they're selling beautiful sapphires and gemstones and emeralds and all that diamond. That's great. No problem. Okay. They sell it. They mined it in some place. You know where it came from. You see it. Oh, I love to put this in my home. Great. But when you start worshiping, bowing down, putting a big green emerald on your desk and saying, this is going to attract wealth, then you're going to start getting into dangerous territory. You're going to start worshiping creation rather than creator. So we want to make sure Deuteronomy 18 talks about that sorcery is an abomination. Do not go into the land and start getting involved in witchcraft, omens, casting spells, mediums, spiritists. All who do these things are detestable to God. Don't consult with the dead. Deuteronomy 18 makes that clear. Ezekiel 13 makes that clear. I could go on and on and on. We want to stay away from these things, okay? So crystals, not occult practice-wise, okay. But if you start getting involved, praying to them, occult practices, rubbing them, all of that, no, 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 don't do that. There's no such thing as Christian crystals that you can rub and get something from God. The only thing I'm going to get from God is when I go to him in prayer. Number 11, oh, we got to go quicker. I constantly battle temptation to watch pornography. How do I fight this practically? Okay, here's how you fight pornography practically. You do what the Bible says. You flee from it. If I had one, I had a whole stream on this, but let me give you one tip. 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin you commit outside the body, the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. So the, what, the way you escape it is you run from it. What does that mean? That means if it's on my phone, I'm going to put my phone down and get away. That means if it's an, on an app, I'm going to delete the app. Some of you grown men, you can't handle being online. Let's just be honest. You can't handle being on TikTok. You can't handle being on Instagram because it, it, it stirs up that lust in you. So you need to get off the explore page, get off of TikTok, delete all your apps. Is it worth going to hell over? Is it worth going to hell over? Proverbs chapter five or seven says, listen to me, do not depart from, do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep far away from her and don't go near the door of her house. And that's talking about the seductive women. That's lust. Don't even go near the door of her house. Stay away from her. If your eye causes you to sin, type it in the chat, gouge it out. If your hand causes you to sin, chop it off. Why? Because it's better to enter heaven with one hand than enter hell with two hands. So if your laptop causes you to sin, get rid of it. If your phone causes you to sin, get rid of it. Some of you need to buy yourself those phones on Amazon where they have no internet, no nothing. It's just you dial on it. I'm serious. It's not worth it. Don't play games. Now, let me take away all of our excuses. All of us that are addicted to pornography, watching pornography, everyone in the chat that's dealing with this, let me get rid of your excuse. Are you ready? Write this down to the guy that asked the question. He keeps fighting this. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. That means we've all had the temptations. We've all dealt with it. But look at this. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation... He will also provide a way of escape that you might be able to endure it. God is so good. Every temptation, God, God provides an exit, a way of escape. So here's what you're going to do, okay? Mr. out there that asked me, struggling with lust. When you're about to watch porn, about to fornicate, about to whatever, whatever, any sexual sin, I want you to stop, okay? Just stop. Just well, I don't really want my voice to be in your head when you're about to do something you shouldn't do sexually, but hear me right now, okay? It's getting a little weird here. Stop right there and say, where's the exit? Because the Bible says God provides an exit, a way of escape. So if I'm going to be struggling and I'm about to get on that website, stop, stop. Where's the exit? Oh, the exit's literally right there in the top right. The X 
is in the top right. I'm going to click off of it. And then I'm going to power down my computer. And then I'm going to run to bed, put my hands on the side and go to sleep. Why are you up at two in the morning anyways? Unless you're burning the midnight oil, studying and praying or getting some work done, you don't need to be, you don't need to be surfing. There's the only thing that you're going to get surfing at two in the morning is sharks. Okay. The only thing swimming around at two in the morning online is sharks. You're going to get bit. You're going to get devoured. You're going to get destroyed. So exit out. God has given you away. Not one of you have been forced into it. She made me. No, he didn't. No, she didn't. He made me. No, nope, nope, nope. You guys were at the park super late at night till midnight in your truck. We all know. We've all, we all listen. We, I, I didn't get saved yesterday. I know how it goes. So run from it, flee from it. Stop hanging out at 10, 11 o'clock. Stop hanging out online late at night all the stuff if you just went to bed at 10 o'clock i'm telling you all the stuff would be solved most of dumb stuff think about how much time you spend repent i'm preaching strong can i get an amen in the chat think of all the dumb things you do let me hold on let me put the chat on screen think of all the dumb things you do after 10 p.m you would spend way less time repenting if you didn't spend so much time messing around past 10 p.m go to bed earlier and you'll have less time like think about every time you repent it's like always because of the things you did after 10 p.m. So yes, escape from it, run from it. That's how you get rid of lust. You flee, you just run. You do what Joseph did when Pharaoh's, when uh, the Pharaoh's wife tried to, you know, get with him, he ran from her. Number 12, oh, help me Lord get through these. We're supposed to be doing 25. Is cessationism deception? My family thinks spiritual gifts are wrong. Yes, cessationism is deception. If you don't know what cessationism is, it basically means the gifts aren't moving anymore. They died with the apostles, spiritual gifts, deliverance isn't happening. God is not using his miraculous power through people to heal the sick. Now, cessationists, to be fair, believe God does still heal and do stuff, but not through people. The problem with cessationism is it's not in the Bible. That's the problem. It's unbiblical. It's a false doctrine that's created by the devil. And it's not in the Bible, the gifts of the Spirit. They're not the gifts of the apostles. So how could they cease with the apostles if number one, they didn't start with the apostles and they can't end with the apostles? Cessationism is a false doctrine. I had Dr. Brown on once and you know he's a, he's a legit theologian. And I said, can you give me one good argument for cessationism? He said, there is none. There is none. I did a whole stream on cessationism and I struggled. I'm like, I can't even talk more than 10 minutes on it. There's nothing in the Bible on it. Cause I tried going into what do they believe? What scriptures do they have? And I couldn't make a video on it because they don't have any scriptures. There's like one that they try to use that's clearly not about spiritual gifts ceasing. It's about when Jesus returns, we won't need all these spiritual gifts. So let me give you some verses since they don't have any. I'm going to give them some, all right? Since your family. Now, is your family wrong? Yes, they are. 1 Corinthians 12, 31. Earnestly desire spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 14, 1. I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 12, 31. Earnestly desire the higher gifts. 1 Corinthians 14, 1 desire spiritual gifts especially the ability to prophesy first corinthians 14 12 so with yourselves since you're eager for manifestations of the spirit strive to excel in building up the church first corinthians 14 39 my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues okay so cessationism it's a joke it's wrong it's not biblical it's dying out and all the cessationists are like oh the charismatic movement's growing. They're mad. They're like making their YouTube videos. The charismatic movement is growing. And it's like, yeah, hello. Because people don't want to hear what God isn't doing anymore. They want to hear about what is God doing in the earth right now. 
So the charismatics talk about what God is doing right now. Cessationists talk about what God isn't doing anymore. And no one wants to go to church on Sunday and go, today we're going to talk about what God isn't doing anymore. And the mind-blowing thing about it, let me just get off my soapbox. They believe in the power of the devil, but they don't believe in the power of God. They make videos like, oh, the Skittle community is trying to take over the world. The devil's trying to teach our kids. And I agree with them. I'm like, yeah, true. And they believe in all the power of the devil. But then when it comes to the power of God, they're like, oh, God doesn't work through people anymore. Hello? What are you talking? So you believe in the power of the devil. And then they accuse me of talking too much about the devil. I'm like, oh, at least I'm fighting him. You're friends with him. All right. Anyways, I'm going to get that clipped. I just gave all the heresy hunters fresh content. I just don't care. It's a false doctrine. It, it goes against the Bible. The Bible says this. They say the opposite. So I'm going to go with the Bible. I don't care how educated they think they are. Oh, well, in the Greek, well, in the Hebrew. Listen, you don't even obey the Bible in English, let alone the Greek. Why are you telling me the Greek if you don't even obey just the English interpretation of the Greek? So it doesn't matter what Greek you try to use, what Hebrew you try to use. The Bible makes it clear. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. They happen throughout the book of Acts. They say, well, towards the end of Acts, the gifts slowed down. No, they didn't. The last chapter of Acts, an entire island gets healed. So I'm sorry for all the John MacArthurites in the chat. It's false. It's false. Get out of that tradition, that religion, those modern-day Pharisees. All right. 13. I like how these questions line up. Isaiah, why do you teach so much about deliverance? Let me give you quick reasons why I talk about deliverance so much. Number one, the body of Christ is deficient when it comes to deliverance. So if you go to the doctor and you're struggling and they say, oh, it looks like you're deficient in vitamin A, uh, but you have plenty of vitamin C. They're not going to prescribe you vitamin C. They're going to prescribe you vitamin A. So there's a, a deficiency in the church when it comes to the ministry of Jesus. Let's make this very clear, which is casting out demons. So if ev no one's talking about it and everyone's talking about the other things, then we're going to talk about deliverance because no one else is. Number two, I'm on an assignment. In August of 2020, God told me, I want you to teach on spiritual warfare. My church is unequipped and unprepared, and they don't have the ability to fight the coming war. There's a demonic onslaught coming, and we are unequipped and untrained to deal with the devil and his schemes. So I'm on assignment. And I don't, I don't owe you guys an apology or an explanation, but I want to give you one. Number three, I love the ministry of Jesus, and I love Jesus, and this is what he does. Very basic. Jesus cast out devils. He healed the sick and he preached the gospel. So like those are the three things he did. Not minor. These are major things that Jesus did. So I'm, I love him. What did he do? If I love Jesus and I'm studying his word, I'm like, oh, he cast out demons everywhere. Oh, Mark 139. He went from synagogue to synagogue, casting out demons. Oh, Jesus, every city. Oh, the book of Acts, Acts chapter eight, Philip, the only named evangelist in scripture. He cast out demons. So I should probably do this. Mark 16, if you believe, you'll cast out devils. I believe I'm a disciple. All the disciples cast out demons. Maybe I should do that. Not only that, the world's in bondage. They need help. So I'm not going to talk about the bondage. I'm going to deal with the bondage. So yes, I love him. And when you love someone, you love the things that they do. And then number four, let me just give you one more reason. When you compare the casting of demons content to all my other content, it's a small percentage. I have almost 1,500 videos on YouTube. That's a lot of videos, a lot of live streams, thousand plus hours of live stream. 
and maybe 30 or 40 are on deliverance. I probably have 10 full, let me say 15, full live streams, not clips, not teachings, full live streams on deliverance out of 1500 videos, probably 10 or 15. So because no one talks about it, it mine stand out. When you search casting out demons, my videos come up because there's very few people talking about it, but it's not my only message. It's just one part of the kingdom. There you go. All right, number 14. It's about to get a lot more controversial if it hasn't already. Number 14. What do you think about drinking alcohol if I don't get drunk? And some of you say it's alcohol, alcohol. I don't know. My wife says I say it weird. I just say alcohol, but I know I, it's probably weird. But what do you think about it? What if I don't get drunk? Okay, I know a lot of you sipping saints in the chat. Let me just give you a couple verses. Now, I used to drink almost every day. God delivered me. God saved me from it. And I, I'm just confused on why God would deliver me from drinking, but then allow someone else to. So that's one confusion. The question about drinking, I don't think it should be, um, I don't think it should be what's wrong with it. I think it should be what's right with it. That's my argument when it comes to drinking, not what's wrong with drinking, what's right with drinking. Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk on wine. If for all you wine drinkers, which leads to reckless indiscretion. One translation says, which ruins your life. So don't get drunk on wine. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So instead of drinking, filling myself with alcohol, 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 I don't know, however you want to say it, alcohol, I'm going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So the question is, why do you drink? You're drinking because there's a void and you're trying to fill it with wine instead of God. So don't let alcohol fill your void. Let the Holy Spirit fill your void. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23. You say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. You say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. So is it beneficial? No. Is it good for you? Well, brother, a little bit of wine helps my heart. So does not eating McDonald's, but we see you out here every day with a 20-piece nugget. We, 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 we know there's a lot of things. You can go run. You can go run, and that's good for your heart. You don't need to drink wine. You can live without alcohol and be completely normal and completely fine. You don't need to drink. Let me keep going. Romans 13, 13. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. So he characterizes drunkenness with sexual immorality and debauchery. They're all together. So no, and, and guys, I used to drink for several years. Okay. Not one of you can say, I know exactly the point where I step in from just drinking to being drunk. None of you know that point. You don't know the point. And if you just drink one, every alcoholic would say, I started off by just one drink. I started being an alcoholic just by one drink. It's just one drink to the next drink. Don't play with it. Don't play with it. Look at what Proverbs 31, chapter 31, verse 4 says. It is not for kings, Lamil. It is not for kings to drink wine, nor is it for rulers to crave beer, for they will drink and forget what's been decreed and deprive all the oppressed of their rights. They'll forget what's been decreed and deprive all the oppressed of their rights. So are we not? So it says kings should not drink wine and not drink, crave beer. Okay. Are we kings and queens? Are we royal priests? Are we a set apart generation with Christ? The Bible says we are royalty. Your royalty, the Bible says, a royal priesthood, a holy generation. So I shouldn't be drinking wine or craving beer. 
Okay, I'm going to keep going because some of you are still like, you just took a sip in between of me saying that. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 31. Do not gaze at wine when it's red and it sparkles in the cup. It goes down smoothly. Look at this. Wine in the end bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the only verse I need. Proverbs 23, 31. Wine bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. Would you drink viper poison? <laughs> Come on. Would you drink viper poison? No. So then why are you? I just don't get it. I think it opens the door. I do. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1. I got a lot more scriptures than you. For those of you that drink. Wine is a mocker. Beer is a brawler. Whoever is led astray by them is not wise. So, I mean, if you like mockers and brawlers, then go ahead and drink. Proverbs 23, 21. For the heavy drinker and the glutton will come to poverty and drowsiness close. Okay. So now we know it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. It leads you astray. The person that drinks it is not wise. It leads to reckless indiscretion and it causes carousing and sexual immorality. So are you still okay with it? I mean, is that something you want to do? And we could go on and on and on. The Bible says stay sober, stay vigilant, remain on your guard. I don't want to be under the influence. If you get pulled over and you're drinking, you're under the influence. I don't want to be under the influence. Not only that, let me give you more. Alcohol contributes to thousands of deaths every year. Families destroyed. Marriage is ruined. Kids without parents. Parents without kids. Why do you want to participate and pay companies that profit off of families being destroyed? People dying. Put the wine glass down. Put the beer down right now. Stop. You know. You know. You know God doesn't want you drinking beer. Okay, so... You're going to drink one beer. Okay, let's pretend that it's not a sin. Just drunkenness is a sin. Let's just, let's play your side for a second, okay? You're in the house, just one beer, just one beer. And all of a sudden, a family member knocks on your door. You're only drinking one beer. You're a one wine, one beer kind of guy. You're not in sin. All right, let's just, let me humor you. And your family member knocks on the door and goes, hey, I've been witnessing to my cousin and will you pray for them? Will you baptize them? Will you share the gospel with them? They're at your door knocking and you, you, you smell like beer. And you're at the door and your cousin brought one of their friends that they've been witnessing to. And they're like, hey, will you baptize? Will you pray for them? Will you? And you're going to pray for them with, with beer breath? You're going to pray for them smelling like Bud Light? Come on. You're going to pray for them smelling like wine? And you're like, oh, this feels weird. I'm, I'm literally witnessing to this guy who just was a, was a drunkard, was an alcoholic. And now I'm witnessing to him and I have beer breath. I smell like Bud Light. I, you know, I, uh, what is happening here? I mean, seriously, I don't understand and you're trying to witness, and you smell like wine, and you're drunk. So it doesn't, holding a beer and witnessing don't go together. Drinking a glass of wine, I couldn't even dream about preaching and then going and drinking. So I, I don't get it. Alcohol is also a depressant, which, I mean, do you want to be more depressed than you are? And then let me just give you this last point, because I can go on, kills brain cells. It's a numbing agent. It's a factor in 50% of violent crimes. It's a mind-altering drug. It tells the world Jesus isn't enough. It makes you act in ways you wouldn't act. I mean, I could keep going here. But here's the last thing I'll say, and then I'm going to go to the next question because I, I, I'm already an hour in, and we're only on question 16. Okay, let me just type one if I can keep going. Last one. This is very important. Let me. I want you to write this down. Whatever I do in moderation, my kids will do in excess. Good word, Brother Isaiah. You're preaching strong tonight. Whatever I do in moderation, my kids will do in excess. You might drink in moderation and have one beer, but will your kids? Will your kids drink one beer? Will it just be not a big deal? Do you want to be responsible 
for leading your kids down the wrong path. Someone said, I feel convicted. I'm going to stop drinking now. Good. Good. Because imagine you're just, again, I'm going to humor you. You're not in sin. You're drinking one wine, one beer. All right, I'm humoring you. Even though the Bible says it's not for kings and queens. Okay, I'll humor you. It's poison, all that. Okay, I won't go into all that. Your kids see you drinking one beer. They see you drinking one glass of wine. And then all of a sudden in high school, their friends are drinking. They go, oh, well, my dad drinks. I want to be like my dad, so I'm going to drink. And then that one drink leads to two drinks to three drinks, leads to a 10-year addiction to alcohol where they ruin their life. So if, if you accept this and tolerate this, they are going to do it in excess. They're looking up to you. Lead your family in prayer. So now your kid sees you with a beer in their hand, but not a Bible in their hand. Not a Bible in your hand. And the memory of dad is, oh, my dad was a drinker, but not a, not a, not a reader. Not a, I, want to, I want my kids to see me reading the Bible and on my knees. I don't want to see them, me and their mom, drinking wine at night when they're in bed. And, and if, if you're, you're not convicted about it, why do you do it only at home? Why don't you do it in public then? Why don't you go, why don't you, okay, if, if it's, last thing, okay, last thing, I'm gonna have to make a whole video out of this. If it's no big deal, then, then I want you on Sunday to go invite your pastor to go drink with you. It's no big deal. It's no big deal. You're defending it. You're defending drinking poison and snake venom. So on Sunday, I want you to go up to your pastor, who's a man of God, and I want you to say, Pastor, will you come get, uh, my, me and my, my wife have this real good aged wine. It's as old as Ezekiel. I want you to come over and let's have a glass of wine together. Or let's go to the bar, Pastor, and just drink. But we're only going to drink one drink, Pastor. No. You'd feel dirty unless your pastor drinks. And if that's the case, you need to find a new church. All right. Number 15. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. I need to hide under my desk after that. Number 15. Tattoos for Christians. What are your thoughts? All right. Let me be very clear. God told me explicitly not to get any tattoos. And the reason why God told me that was because God told me if there's one person in the audience that won't listen to you preach because you have tattoos, you shouldn't get tattoos. Now, imagine I go get a whole sleeve of tattoos and I'm preaching and, uh, oh, I don't even wear short sleeves, but pretend I was wearing a short sleeve and I was preaching and there was one person because I had tattoos, it was a stumbling block. And they're like, I'm not listening to that guy. He's full of tattoos. Then I don't want to be a stumbling block to anybody. If, if eating meat causes me to be a stumbling block, I'm not going to eat meat. Like Paul said, if drinking wine causes someone to stumble, don't drink wine. So I'm not going to do it and mark up my body. Another thought. So I'm, I personally don't ascribe to tattoos and I would not recommend anyone in my community to go get tattoos. So young people, don't mark up your body. You don't need to. Now we can go into like infection and that literally the ink po could poison you. And I don't want to go into all that, but I will say now I don't have explicit scripture, so I can't say it's a sin. I can't say it's a sin because there's no explicit scripture in Leviticus. It's about marking the dead. It was not the same. So I don't want to get in an argument and I'm not saying it's sin, but I'm saying for me, it is sin because the Bible says if you have a conviction about something and you do it, it's sin for you. So for Isaiah Saldivar, I'm not saying it's a sin for you. I'm saying it's a sin for me. Now, would I recommend people getting tattoos? No. I think that we are temples of the Holy Spirit. If I got a brand new building, imagine I saved up and our church got a $10 million building. Would any of you get a brand new $10 million building and graffiti it? No, you wouldn't graffiti your brand new building. Okay. So if I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit, I'm not going to graffiti the temple of the Holy Spirit with tattoos. That's just me. That's just me. I could be wrong on that. And you might have a different conviction and that's fine. 
And you know the truth is, I used to love tattoos. I wanted a full sleeve. And then I got saved and God's like, nope, you're not getting a sleeve. You're not getting a sleeve. You're going to be wearing long sleeve. No, but seriously, I'm like, okay. Now there's a lot of you that have tattoos from before you were saved and all that. And, and some of you, you might get tattoos after you're saved and you might be right. I'm just telling you for me, I don't recommend tattoos. And this is the main reason. The other reasons are all good, but here's the main reason. It's not holy. To be holy means to be set apart and to be different. So that means if everybody's getting tattoos and the world celebrates tattoos, which they do, if I want to be holy, set apart and separate, different, it doesn't just mean I sustain or abstain from sin. It means I also don't do what everyone else does. So because everyone else does it, I want to be separate, different, set apart. Are y'all with me? That's what holy means, to be set apart then I'm not going to do it. Not because it's sinning, but because I'm trying to be set apart and different. So that's my conviction on tattoos for Isaiah Saldivar's sin. Uh, maybe for you, it's not. That's what, that's what I believe. I'm not going to mark up my body. I'm not going to mark up the temple. I'm not going to graffiti the temple. I don't think it's holy. I wouldn't recommend you getting it. If you do, I'm not saying you're going to hell. I'm not saying we still can't. None of that. Okay, number 16. Is it common to get multiple deliverances? I'm going to tell you why it is. few reasons. Number one, a lot of times the person was not ready when they come for deliverance. They have not sorted out areas of their life. They've not closed doors. They're still in active sin. They're not ready to get delivered. So they might need to come back. Number two, sometimes the demons are hiding and we don't get them to surface. We don't get them to come up. And so they need to come back another time. Other times we run out of time. There's a lot of times where you do a two hour deliverance and an hour and 40 minutes you're talking and 20 minutes you're casting out the demon. So because you spend a lot of time talking and only 20 minutes doing deliverance, you just might need to put more time in. You might run out of time. Every one of you that does deliverance knows what happens when it gets too late or it's too early and you just run out of time because everybody has a life and a schedule. So you might need to come back for another deliverance or another reason would be you had an altar deliverance. So you just got a quick prayer at the altar, but you need a full on guys. I know I could, I could, I could hear what you're thinking. Oh, the demon should come out right away. It shouldn't take longer than five minutes. Stop. Anyone that does real deliverance knows it takes longer than five minutes. Everybody, that, everyone, anyone in here that's really wrestled with demons knows it's not instant. And even with Jesus, it wasn't instant. The Bible says he was commanding the demon to leave and the demon wasn't leaving. And then Jesus said, what is your name? So that was the, Jesus. Now you might say, well, other times Jesus instantly cast out demons. Praise the Lord, I'm not Jesus. I'm not Jesus, I'm a student, he's the master. Every person Jesus prayed for got healed, but I'm just a student. So every person I pray for is not gonna get healed. But I still keep praying, I'm just a student. So again, every pastor that says, it should be instant, show me your resume. Most of the people that have all these, uh, all these refutes to deliverance and all these negative things to say have never done deliverance, so please, you keep booing from the stands, I'm going to keep playing and being on the field. The loudest boos come from the cheapest seats. A train doesn't stop for barking dogs. Okay, I'm a train. I'm moving. I'm doing it. And you're barking. So it's like, uh, it takes time. So don't shame people for having to get more than one deliverance. Don't shame. Imagine going to the doctor and the doctor like, wait, weren't you here three weeks ago? Get out of my office. You were already here. Why is it the doctor in the hospital will let you come an unlimited amount of times, but the church says you should only get delivered one time? Hello? The ER won't kick you out for coming twice, two days in a row, but the church will? 
and we shame people. You don't need another deliverance. It's like, dude, just pray for them. Stop being lazy. Can- cancel your country club golfing thing. We Just be honest with us. The reason why you hate deliverances is because you're lazy. You don't want to spend the hours of wrestling. You don't want to spend the hours praying. You don't want to spend the time counseling people. You just want to go golf. Just be honest. Just be honest. And we'll be fine with it. But don't yell at us saying it shouldn't take long. Okay, show me your secrets. If it shouldn't take long, show me how you do it and they won't. Number 17. How do I know if a demon... How do I know if a demon has left the person is not just hiding? Now, you don't know 100%. But what you could do at the end of the deliverance... Whatever demons you think you cast out, you can call those demons out by name. So if I think a spirit of lust left left the person, I'm going to command the spirit of lust out, put pressure on it, and see if it surfaces. So you should be writing down in deliverance what demons have come out, what demons have manifested or surfaced. And then at the end, you do a sweeping check to see what's left. You can also give the person a week. Hey, go for a week live your life and see if any of the symptoms return if you have manifestations or symptoms you might need to come back so you can check that but you don't fully know the bible says in acts um chapter 8 that the demons were screaming chapter 8 verse 7 as they left their victims so sometimes to know they left the person will scream the bible says they fell as if they were dead that's uh, mark 9 26 the crowd looked and said he's dead because the boy appeared to be dead. So a lot of times when the demon leaves, the person will just fall out and lay out. You're like, whoa, are they, are they dead? And they're just laying on the ground, lifeless. No, the demon left them. It's part of it, Mark 9, 26. Acts chapter 8, verse 7. Screaming, all of it's normal. Convulsing, foaming at the mouth, it's all in the Bible. So these wild manifestations happen when demons cast, are cast out. But there's no clear, clear way other than going back and checking and seeing, okay? Number 18. Oh, this is a good one. Why doesn't my pastor talk about casting out demons? That's number 18. I don't know. I wish he did. I don't know why he doesn't. I'm as confused as you are. Oh, oh, a couple reasons. He's probably ignorant to it. And that's not being rude. That just means he doesn't know. He just doesn't know. He's never been exposed to it. He's just ignorant of it. So he's probably just doesn't know he's ignorant to it. But I don't know if that's a good excuse. Because if you read the New Testament, you'll see the 12 casting out demons, the 72 casting out demons. All believers can cast out demons through the book of Acts. So it's, it's hard to say... It's just ignorance. Uh, The other reason would be maybe he's lazy. Deliverance takes a lot of time, a lot of work. I know one pastor said, I want to talk about deliverance, but I know that people will leave and I know my big givers will leave and I have a really big bill to pay on my building. And if my big givers leave because I'm talking about casting out demons, I can't pay the building and the building goes in foreclosure. Then we can't meet and then I don't get paid in the church. I get it. So it could be a money thing. Could be we don't want to make people afraid. We don't want to scare the new people. Could be that your pastor's preaching a partial gospel. And this is the part that he leaves out. I mean, I'm trying not to be rude here. I'm just trying to be honest. He's probably preaching a, a, a partial gospel and he doesn't want to talk about it. Or here's a, here's a last thought I'll give. He probably doesn't want his own demons exposed. When you start doing deliverance, you have to deal with your own demons. And there is a lot of main big pastors that say things like, I mean, I'm going to just totally hammer this real quick. They say things like, it's normal to be suicidal. It's normal for all of us to battle lust. It's normal to give in to temptation. It's normal to have a voice. That was one of the biggest pastors in America. Every one of you know this guy. Every one of you know this guy. And he said, oh, it's normal to hear voices and have multiple personalities. He said, I tell my therapist, there's a voice that tells me I'm not good enough. No, 
It's not normal to hear voices. Those are demons. Just get delivered. Just believe that you could be delivered. Don't tell everyone it's normal because now thousands of your church members are like, oh yeah, I have a voice in my head too. Mine sounds like this. Mine sounds like a man. Mine sounds like a woman. My voice is named Terry. My voice is named Leviathan. Just stop. Stop. Just preach the cross. There's delivering power. You don't have to stay suicidal. You don't have to stay addicted. You don't have to wake up every day depressed. You don't have to have naked images in your mind all the time. It's exhausting. You can be free by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says he cast out demons. Matthew 9, to fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah. Jesus came, 1 John 3, 8, to destroy the works of darkness. And these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They shall drive out demons. Why do we cast out devils? Because they shall in my name. No. There's the Holy Spirit speaking and there's a demon. And there's your own thoughts. If it's not your thought, if you're walking in a room and a voice is saying, everybody hates you, you're ugly, you're worthless. Beloved, you got a critter on board. And praise the Lord that Christ can exterminate that critter and kick that demon out. You got company, friend. So pastor, stop, stop. Stop saying it's normal. Everybody's dealing with porn. No, we're not. Just because you are doesn't mean we all are. Man, these pastors out here are so soft, keeping people in bondage. What are you guys doing out here? Number 19. We're almost done. What are your thoughts on video games? Okay, I get asked this all the time. My thoughts on video games, hear me, okay? I've answered this a million times, are the same as my thoughts on television, on movies, on Netflix, okay? Is it an addiction? If it's an addiction, you need to stop. When I got saved, it was an addiction. I was, I could, I could easily play when I got saved World of Warcraft for 12 hours. Easy, without even thinking about it. It was an addiction, it was a distraction. So God said, get rid of it. So I broke all of my Xbox games. I broke my Xbox, I got rid of everything. I deleted all my games and I went cold turkey because it was an addiction for me. Some of you, you can casually get on and play for 30 minutes or an hour as a way of entertainment, just like you watch a movie. Okay, so that's fine. But if you're eight hours, 12 hours, guys, if your wife is like crying every night because you won't get off of Call of Duty and you're with, you're with the boys. Like, let me just say, you're 35. When you were 16, you should have been with the boys. You're 35, you have three kids, your wife's exhausted. She's cooking, she's cleaning, she's feeding them, she's doing everything. And you got your feet up with the boys, dropping in on Call of Duty, trying to level up your new weapon. And I'm like, no, no, that's unhealthy. So yeah, I get it, you get home, just like you'd watch sports an hour. Okay, cool. But don't let it be eight hours an addiction. Um, and then also ask yourself, what is the content? What is the content? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe maybe getting headshots with the boys is not, is not super healthy. Maybe blowing people's heads off virtually is not like super biblical. I don't know. Maybe putting spells on people. I don't know. Maybe some of these games, maybe they're just not healthy for me. Maybe they're not. Maybe they're not. Maybe I shouldn't be playing these games, like these horror games where I'm blowing heads off of zombies for hours. I don't know if that's good for your mental health. Oops, hold on. I lost you guys. I don't know if that's good for my mental health to be blowing zombies up all the time for hours and conjuring spells and riding a broom around the new Harry Potter. I just, I just don't know. So you need to use discretion. You need to use conviction the same way you do with television, with movies, with music, same thing. Okay, that's my stance on video games. The eyes are the window to my soul. What am I letting in? 
Because some of you are playing some wild stuff out here, conjuring up some weird stuff. Especially when it comes to VR. Some of you are doing some weird stuff with that headset on. With those goggles on. Like, I don't know. It's weird. You're over there sh doing some weird stuff, shooting people, stabbing people in VR. That's a whole nother level. You have people out here, like, doing some weird stuff. I don't want to go into it because there's kids watching. But you guys, you need to take the headset off. Okay, you need to, you shouldn't be in VR with a gun acting like you're stabbing, shooting, and doing all this weird stuff, and choking people, and pulling them up, and using magic spells on them. It's just weird. It's weird. I saw some of it on TikTok. I don't like it. You guys need to be careful with all that. So video games, content, addiction. If it's an addiction, stop. If the content's bad, you need to pray and get some conviction. Number 20. I need to do 20 questions next time, not 25. I struggle with making time for God. Do you have any advice? Yes. Here's my advice. Make God a priority. That's your struggle. Your struggle is not, I struggle to make time. Your struggle is God's not a priority to you. Because if you look at your screen time, how much time you spend on Instagram, how much time you spend on Facebook, how much time you spend on YouTube, it'll be clear that you do have time. Like you do have time. We all have 24 hours, but God is not a priority. So make God a priority. And then number two, I'm going to say something a lot of you will not agree with, but I, I just going to say it. I heard Mike Bickle say this and I love this. All right. All right. Put God on your calendar. Yes, put God on your calendar. You schedule everything, schedule prayer. You schedule when you're going to get this and go here and go to work. And then you have a calendar for everything. I know some of you ladies, your calendars have calendars. Schedule time for prayer tomorrow at 3 p.m. From 3 to 4, I'm going to pray and seek God. Nothing's going to get in my way. Nothing's going to stop me. It's on my calendar. Oh, my family member called me. No, I, I can't. I have, just like when you have a, a nail appointment that you can't reschedule, come on, be honest. You're like, oh, I have a hair appointment. It's booked weeks out. I can't cancel. And your family says, hey, we're all hanging out. And you're like, oh, I got a hair appointment. I can't. I'll come after. Do that with God. Put him on your calendar and say, sorry, I can't go. I have a prayer, I have a prayer appointment. What do you mean a prayer appointment? Yeah, it's on my calendar. It's on my calendar. So, and then also it's like, Maybe we just don't really love God the way we do. Because if we really love God, it, would it really be that much of a struggle to spend time with him, to get in his word, to pray? So it could be like rewind, rewind. It could be that like, I just don't really love God and I don't really like spending time with him. And so it could be a root issue where it's, I need to get in love with God. I need to serve God. I need to really know him better because I'm just having, I'm having issues here with God. It's not even like making time. It's just, I have issues with God. All right, number one, how do I get spiritual gifts? Very simple. You need to pursue them. First Corinthians 14, let love your high, be your high school. Also pursue or desire spiritual gifts, especially the ability to prophesy. So we need to desire them. The same way you desire a job, you go to school for years. Why did I go to school for eight years, 10 years, 12 years to become a doctor? Because I desired to be a doctor. Why did I spend all night long on, on the phone with my wife before we were married? You hang up first, you hang up first. Do y'all remember waking up and your your cheek was on fire because you fell asleep on the phone? You're like, oh my, you had a toaster oven on your face because you were all night long on the phone. It's like you go to sleep and you fell asleep talking. It's like wasting all your minutes. Back in the day, we had minutes, okay? Why did you do that? Why did you spend 12 hours, 14 hours on the phone with your high school crush? Because you desired them. So why did I spend 14 hours? Because I was pursuing them. So Paul says, pursue spiritual gifts desire them learn about them ask god for them you desire and pursue everything else in life why don't you desire and pursue spiritual gifts these are not toys these are tools of the holy spirit to do his will so we desire 
Just like I spent 10 years of school. I desired that job and I got it. I desire gifts. I desire God. Now, he told me to desire them. The cessationist says, you guys just chase miracles. You guys chase the gifts. No. The Bible tells me to desire them. I pursue them and chase them because Jesus told me to. The Bible told me to. So we're desiring them. We're pursuing them. We're asking for them. We're praying, Lord, would you give me spiritual gifts to pursue uh, your ministry, to reach people, to preach to people. We desire the spiritual gifts. Okay. Number 22. We're almost there. We're almost there. I'll go quick. Number 22. Do you think a born again believer who has demons can go to heaven when they die? And the answer is yes. Of course, I do believe Christians can have demons, but also yes, the basis of your salvation is not determined by what you did. It's determined by what Jesus did on the cross. So of course you can have demonic spirits influencing you and die and still be saved and still go to heaven. For sure you can, because it's not about what the demon's doing in your life. It's about what Christ already did for you on the cross. And your salvation is dependent on you putting your faith in the work of the cross by his grace through faith. We've been saved. So we now put our faith in Jesus and that faith we put in Jesus, we have that born again experience. We become new creatures. Now we live a holy life. Your life changes. If your life doesn't change, I question whether you truly put your faith in Jesus and you truly were born again. So there has to be a life change. Now, if you're a fake Christian, you're not going to go to heaven. If you say you're saved because you repeated a prayer, invited Jesus to come build a treehouse in your heart, and you just live however you want because you said the sinner's prayer. Guys, saying the sinner's prayer does not mean you're saved. Okay, a parrot could say the sinner's prayer. It doesn't mean you're saved. When you are born again, your life changes. You repent, you turn from your ways. And there's a, if we can't see a life change, it's probably that you weren't born again. You probably didn't get saved. So 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourselves. This is what Paul said. Don't get mad at me to see if you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. I hope you'll find out we have not failed the test. So test yourself. If you say you're a Christian and Christ is in you, Paul says, examine yourself. Don't just say you're a Christian. So if you have a demon, but you're a believer and you die, you go to heaven. Well, what happens to the demon? The demon stays and looks for a new body. That's why if you look at graveyards, hospitals, rest homes, you'll have extreme amounts of uh, supernatural activity because when someone dies and gets buried, that demon oftentimes is looking for a new body. So it might be uh, common that people go to graveyards and stuff to encounter demons because a lot of times the demons, those people that are dead, the demons don't, don't go to heaven or hell with you. The demons stay on earth. Okay, so remember they inhabit your body. When you die, you leave your body. Your soul and spirit leave your body. And go to God, return to God for judgment. Your body where the demon resided in, because the demon is not in your spirit. They reside in the soulish realm in the body. When that leaves, the demon stays. They stay. So the demon doesn't go with you. It's very clear. So yes, someone with demons can for sure. All right. 23. Is once saved, always saved biblical? These All of these questions I should, I should put in a separate video because these are long. But no, once saved, always saved is not biblical. The Bible does not teach once saved, always saved. And I'm going to give you five quick verses that disprove once saved, always saved. Number one, Hebrews chapter six, verse four through eight. I have a whole video on this. Look at what it says. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened, look at this, have tasted the heavenly gift, became partakers of the Holy Spirit, verse five of Hebrews six, tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. Verse six, 
if they fall away, to renew them back to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. Okay, so that's a believer that falls away. Okay, that 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 for sure debunks once saved, always saved. Hebrews 10, 26, verse th- through 26 through 31. Look, for if we willfully sin, let me just give you one verse. If we willfully sin after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice, but fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation, which will devour the adversaries. So if we keep sinning after receiving the truth, there's no longer there. Okay, Revelation chapter three, verse five. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments and I will not blot his name out of the book of life, but I'll confess his name before my father and before his angels. So the book of life, which is the record of all who have been born again, who picked up their cross and served Jesus, Jesus says, I will not blot your name out. If he says, I won't blot it out, it means it's possible to be blotted out. That's three, okay? The fourth one is this, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 20. For after having escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, they are again entangled and overcome. So after receiving the knowledge, you've already become a believer, you're then again entangled. The latter is worse than the beginning, verse 21. It would be better that they didn't know the way of righteousness than having known it, turning away from the holy commandment delivered to them. Verse 22, but it has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his vomit, a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. All right, so this is someone that gets saved, then returns. They are not saved anymore. They return to their vomit, not saved. Galatians chapter five, verse one. Look what it says. You've become estranged from Christ. You attempt to justify by the, be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. Let me say that one more time. You have fallen from grace. How can you fall from something if you once saved all, they say, well, this wasn't a believer, then how do they fall from grace? Let me just give you extra bonus free, free 99. The branches that get cut off that were connected to the vine that disproves once always saved right there. The branches are cut off. They were on the vine and they cut them off. So no, once saved, always saved, man-made, dangerous doctrine, lets people live recklessly thinking I could just live however I want. And because I'm saved, I can never lose my salvation. Friend, if you go serve the devil, live in rebellion to God after being an on fire, genuine Christian, you go back to the world. You are no longer saved. Well, how could I forfeit? It's a gift. Of course you could get forfeit a gift. You can definitely forfeit a gift. So yes, you can fall away. And the Bible's full of people in, that fell away in scripture. All throughout the New Testament, there's people. Paul says, I turn them over. They turn from the faith. They're preaching another gospel. I turn them over to the devil. So yes, you can fall away. Once saved, always saved is not biblical. And there's no scripture that teaches once you're saved, you can live however you want, do whatever you want. False doctrine alert. Okay, number 24. We're almost done. We're on the home stretch. Almost two hours here. Is every mental illness demonic? Let me be very quick on this one. No, not every mental illness is demonic. But here's the caveat. A lot of people that have been diagnosed with mental illness actually have a demon. When you have people that say, oh, I have 10 personalities, and then these personalities manifest out of them and make them speak a certain way, talk a certain way, and have an, its own name, that's a demon. Okay, I know my friends, my deliverance friends are like, you're wrong. It's okay, you could think I'm wrong, but um, that's a demon. If you have 10 personalities, those are 10 different demons in you. They're just naming themselves. Here's the thing you guys gotta remember. When you go to a doctor, a licensed doctor, and they're going to diagnose you, no doctor is going to say, oh, one second you're fine and happy and nice, 
and the next second you're angry and you're raging and you're throwing stuff, that's just bipolar. A doctor's not gonna say it's a demon. A doctor's not gonna say, oh, you have a demon of rage. Oh yeah, it's a demon of anger. They're gonna say you are bipolar. Oh, you have voices telling you to kill yourself? Oh, what is that? Let's look in our book of 500 mental illnesses. Oh, you're schizophrenic. Oh, there's a voice telling you to cut your arm. Oh, let's see, what is that? Oh, that's uh, okay, that's this. Oh, you have a voice telling you that there's a little person in you saying you're a boy, not a girl. Oh, that's um, that's uh, what is it? dissociative personality disorder disassociate. I don't know what. One of those. You're one of those. You have that. Let's give you some medicine. Let's numb you. Let's turn you into a zombie, into a robot. Like guys, I have friends that went to the doctor because they have uh, manic depression and chronic all this stuff. There's no test. There's no brain exam. There's no scan. So all you they're like, no brother. They just say, oh, you're depressed all the time. Here's medication that's going to block indoor, uh, block receptors and open up indoor. Guys, so is there people that have chemical imbalance? Yes. Is there people that have, they're born where there's a p missing piece of their brain? Yes. But a lot, that's the that's true. And there could be medication that could help. But a lot of the time when you go to the doctor and they go, oh, let me just write here my thing. Oh, you have this. Here's some medication. There's no test. There's no looking for levels. There's no checking. And now they're saying antidepressants don't even change your serotonin levels. After how many years of us all taking antidepressants, now they're saying this doesn't even change your uh, your serotonin levels. And don't even get me started with the billions of dollars these pharmaceutical companies. You think they care about you? No. They're making billions of dollars. Making, you know, oh, help me Lord. These pharmaceutical guys, they brag and they, they oh, this big pharmaceutical guy, $580 million yacht. Brand new yacht, $580 million. He broke the record, the most expensive yacht ever. Who is this guy building a $580 million yacht? Oh, that's the guy that's the CEO of the Fauci ouchie. He has, a, he just made a five and he's bragging. He's like, look at my $500 million yacht. I'm just saying guys, I'm just saying pharmacia. Now I have a lot of family in medical. I respect all of you medical professionals, doctors, nurses. I love you guys. Again, some of my family and best friends are doctors and nurses. I love it. And there's a place for medicine. Luke was a physician, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about this mental illness crisis where every time a demon manifests or you have a stronghold in your life or something happens, they throw medication at you. You don't even need a prescription. We're just going to throw it at you. Just stay right there. We're going to put it right over the counter. Within five minutes, you can have some of the strongest steroids that you can get your hands on because you walked in and said, I'm sad in the mornings. Maybe you're sad and depressed because you don't know God. Have you ever thought of that? Maybe you're depressed because um, you do tarot cards and new age and psychic readings and maybe you're depressed because you're giving your body to other men and you're getting creating soul ties and you're getting their demons and you have std sexually transmitted demons have you thought about that i mean there's a million reasons why i could say some of you are depressed out here but instead i'm just going to throw a pill at you and try to mess up your receptors in your brain and get you addicted i don't know so don't, but please hear my heart yes there's there's medical conditions yes but I'm telling you right now, if you're telling me that you're hearing all these voices and these characters are in your brain, uh, we're going to take you through deliverance. A pill is not going to stop that voice in your brain that has a name and an identity. It's going to get the power of God deliverance. And, and I just, uh, I got to be careful here. I'm going to get myself banned and restricted in trouble. All right. 
25. Last one. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we did it. Okay. An hour and 31 minutes. Our first time doing 25 questions with Isaiah Saldivar. Next time, it probably will be 20 questions with Isaiah Saldivar. Um, because this is long, but it's okay. You're still here. I'm not paying to be live, so it is what it is. Number 25. Here we go. How do I know if my tongues are authentic? How do I know if I'm speaking in tongues and it's authentic? I'm going to tell you why. Because you asked for authentic tongues. This is a very basic biblical principle. Jesus said, if you ask the Father for the Holy Spirit, if an evil parent, now if my daughter comes up to me, I would be considered compared to God the Father, an evil parent. Compared to God, we're all evil parents. And if my daughter says, Daddy, will you give me bread? Will you give me whatever? I'm not going to say, oh, here you go, honey. Here's a snake. Here's a python. So here's the basic principle. If you being evil, this is what Jesus said to them, know how to give good gifts, how much more does your heavenly father want to give the Holy Spirit to those that ask? Okay. If I ask for the Holy Spirit, Lord, I want, I want to speak in tongues. I want the Holy Spirit. I want, I want the real. God is such a good father. He doesn't say, oh, okay, I'm going to give you something fake and give you fake tongues. He doesn't say, I'm going to give you something to make up. So did you ask for authentic tongues? Did you ask for real baptism of the Holy Spirit? Or did you ask for something bad? Okay. Now also, does it feel authentic? When I speak in tongues, it feels authentic. I can do it on demand. It's a spiritual gift activated by faith. It's not random. It's not spontaneous. Paul said, when you prophesy, take turns prophesying one by one. Why? Because the prophet's in control of his own spirit. That's what Paul said. So it's not some random, oh, I'm just going to, it's, I could speak it. I could speak it right now in tongues. It's authentic. Another thing you can do, and this is very practical, very basic. If I'm speaking in tongues, am I able to think about something else while still speaking in tongues? For example, if I speak in English, I have to think about what I'm going to say or what I'm saying. I cannot think about, I cannot talk to you guys right now and also be thinking about what I'm going to eat tomorrow at the same time. I can't do it because I have to actually think to create my thoughts. I have to actually think to create my words. If I'm speaking in tongues and it's authentic, I can speak in tongues right now and be thinking about something completely separate in English at the same time. Why? Because, and studies have already showed this. I have a video about scientists proving this. When I'm praying in tongues or speaking in tongues, it's my spirit praying, not my mental, not the mental part of my brain, the frontal lobe that create that um, controls communication. It's my spirit praying. So I can pray in the spirit and at the same time be thinking about whatever else in English, okay? So right now, I'll pray in tongues. I'll speak in tongues. Okay, I don't understand. I'm not asking for an interpretation. I'm praying in the spirit. Now, Paul said you can pray for an interpretation. But right there, I'm praying in tongues. And as I'm praying, I could read the chat in English and understand all the chat while I'm praying in tongues. Because it's not me praying. It's my spirit praying. I'm not making up the words. I'm not even thinking of the words before I say them. I'm just speaking out by faith and my spirit's praying out of me. Okay, it's by faith. It's by faith. Just like you prophesy. Paul said, take turns prophesying. Do it in order. When you pray in tongues, don't everyone pray in tongues at once. This is what Paul said, 1 Corinthians 14. Take turns and then pray for an interpretation. Why are you saying that, Paul? Because it's not spontaneous. Paul said you can take turns speaking in tongues. And then he said, pray for an interpretation. Now, I'm not, I'm not in a corporate church setting at a, on a stage needing an interpretation. I'm in a live stream. 
Okay, so I can pray in tongues with no interpretation. First Corinthians 14 was in a church service. When you're praying in tongues, ask for an interpretation because people will be confused. Okay, but I'm just showing you guys, I can pray in tongues instantly. I can pray in tongues instantly. And when I'm praying in tongues, I can think about something else. Now, if you feel that your tongues are not authentic and you're faking it somehow or you're making it up, then just pray to God. Say, God, I want the real. God, I feel like I'm faking. I feel like I'm making it up. Like I'm thinking of it before I say it. Which you should know if it's real or not. Lord, I want the authentic. You said, God, if I ask, you'll give me. That's all you have to do. And God will give you the Holy Spirit. He'll pour out without measure and give you the genuine. That is 25 questions. Can we get some confetti ones in the chat? Do you guys want me to do that again sometime? Throw it in there every couple weeks with my broadcast. An hour and 50 minutes. If you want to partner with us, partner with us, guys. Partner with us. I just gave you guys two hours for free. Don't dine and dash. If you were blessed tonight, pray about becoming a monthly partner. We do these for free. That means we're crowdfunded. That means the only way we survive is if you guys give. Okay, we're not charging for e-courses. The only way we survive is if you guys give. We just gave you guys 25 mini sermons. They are mini sermons because they're different topics, but I think they're good. I think they answer a lot of questions. Um, I think they're helpful to people that don't know how to navigate. You know, we'll have harder questions in the future and less hard questions and all that stuff. But if you're listening on Spotify, Google, Apple, give at isaiasaldivar.com slash partner. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. If you like what you heard, go to www.isaiasaldivar.com for more content. And please follow me on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at Isaiah Saldivar. See you next week.